So um, a couple of days ago, uh, I was looking, um, as I do quite often, at different journal articles. Um, and this one particular journal article struck <clears throat> my eyes. When I first read the title, it didn't exactly make sense to me as to what it meant. Uh, somatocognitive action network alternates with the effector regions in the motor cortex. I was like, what really are they trying to, I think they could have put this in a much plainer English, um, but it is the journal of nature. So they're always making things more difficult than they have to. Um, but scrolling through this, I realized the brilliance to this particular article, and that's this. <clears throat> that in 1948, the homunculus, homunculus was created. <clears throat> and the homunculus <clears throat> essentially shows like the mouth really and the face and stuff really big here, and then the hands really big here and the feet really big here. And that's how we've been taught for you know, since 1948, so like, uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 years, uh, 80 years, we've been taught this particular way of how the motor homunculus works. But what they're actually realizing is uh, through new fMRI and other sort of advanced imaging, they're realizing that in between like the foot part of the homunculus and the hand part of the homunculus is another section that they're calling like the action body section. I'm not particularly a fan of this sort of uh, marionette kind of figure. But what that means, though, is that in between each section of the homunculus, there's a section that coordinates the rest of the body with that section. So in other words, it's not like this, like the old thing here, as an example, where you got the hand here, and then the foot, and then there's like, it just kind of runs in this one continuous path and doesn't connect to anything else, right? This is much more, I would call, salutogenic in nature that it, it talks really about the whole versus just the part, right? And that, to me, is really important to understand is that the, the, the body is a whole mechanism, right? So if you look over here, the hand interacts with the, the face. So when something happens here in the hands, whether you're moving something or you're feeling something, etc., there's an interaction with the, the way the face and the mouth and the and eyes and ears move, and it also interacts with the way the hand moves. Everything's connected to everything. And I think that is so important for us to, to realize because the way we've been taught anatomy is very piecemeal, right? So this connects to this, and this connects to this, and that's not really how it works. It really works like like this, like the whole body working together. So if I am like, if I am feeling, if I am feeling this Yeti water bottle, I'm doing a lot more than just feeling this Yeti water bottle, right? Because I'm feeling it, but I'm also seeing it. I'm doing this and I can hear it with my ears. I'm actually, in order for me to hold this, I need to actually have different weight distribution on my feet because I'm holding this and even though it's not heavy, but it's still heavier than having nothing in my hands. So my right foot has to do more work proprioceptively than my left foot. My vestibular system has to turn around differently because I'm holding something with weight in one hand versus another. So as to not have me tip over, my proprioceptive system in my neck has to say, okay, if you want to do this to keep my body level, I have to do this, right? So imagine the amount of work that has to be put in 
just to hold a bottle of water, which this did not take into account. And now, I love that in the article they say something like, you know, this is a whole new discovery. I'm like, well, it's a new discovery for you, but I think in chiropractic we've known this for a long time. You know, like if you, if you think about anatomy, you think about the bicep, right? Is the bicep a separate muscle, like a separated, isolated, standalone muscle, and all it does is this, right? But that's how we're taught, isn't it? We're, we're taught the bicep flexes the arm. Well, yeah, it does flex the arm, but it does so much more than flex the arm because if you're doing this kind of thing, what else is happening? Right, so if you're flexing this arm over here, the bicep is talking to the tricep to say relax because otherwise if you, if you didn't relax your tricep as you're flexing your bicep, you wouldn't be able to flex your bicep, right? And when you do something like this, it's also telling the other side of your body to prepare for something because if you're doing this, you're probably going to do something on this side, right? So you have the counterbalance and all these things are happening and this is, this is what chiropractor has been saying for years, but if you look at something like, as another example, like anatomy trains, I don't know, guys, if you've ever read that book, Anatomy Trains, if you haven't read the book, Anatomy Trains, you really should like, look at it. It's here in the library. Um, and it's written by Tom Myers, and he's a, a, a massage therapist, actually, by trade. But he's brilliantly thought about how everything connects. And what he's really into studying is fascia. And if you learn about fascia, you realize that your big toe is actually connected to your dura. So it is not like this whole separate, like the big toes connected to the, you know, to the, certain, the tarsals and the tarsal are connected to the calcaneus and the calcaneus are connected to the fibula and the fibula are connected to, it's not like that. It's this one long, that's why they call it a train, right? It's this one long continuous sort of sweeping thing. And this to me is a, it's a very chiropractic understanding. Because if you look at everything very piecemeal, this is why so many chiropractors go out there and they use the word words like treatment and cure when that's not what we're doing, right? Well, I, I don't treat anything. I don't cure anything. I take care of a person with a brain and a nerve system to make sure their brain and nerve system work better. That's what I do. I like this concept better because this is a, they call it the, they call it the integrate isolate model. I'm not a fan of that name either. But I like the integration model. It's the integration model of the homunculus. We, it, it's all together. And then, you know, last week we've been, you know, I'm always talking about kids on the spectrum. And we, for years, I remember when I was, you know, here in school and we talked about autism and autism was said to be a behavioral issue. The issue with a child on the spectrum is that there's something going on with their behavior, and they happen to be behaving differently than a neurotypical kid. That's not exactly it. They actually have functional connectivity changes in their brain, documented changes. And in the last few years, they have shown, this, this, this paper came out just like last week, cerebellar structural abnormality and autism spectrum disorder uh, and magnetic resonance imaging study. So what they did is they checked all these kids' brains who have autism, and they found out that their cerebellum isn't working very good. You say, cerebellum is working good. Well, that means they all have all these balance issues. Well, did you know that the cerebellum not just is just about balance and coordination in terms of your physical movement, but in terms of your emotions and your psychology, right? So, so what, we're, what are you taught about the cerebellum? You taught the cerebellum is about coordination of movement. 
Well, yes, it is. But that's not the only thing. What are we taught about the homun homunculus? You're taught this is how it goes. Well, that's not it. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because I want you to, I want you to question. I want you to start questioning. I want you to start looking. Like, how many cranial nerves are there? No, there are 14. Did you know that? There are two other cranial nerves that they've discovered in the last couple of years that they, they haven't named yet, they haven't figured out exactly what they do. So there aren't 12. There are 14 cranial nerves. We don't know everything yet. We don't know. The thing that, the, the, here's the thing I think we don't know most of all is how the information really gets from one part of our body to another. I don't think our, that we really know what happens when, some, like, if we say, I'm going to move this way. I don't think it's really just that clear cut. I'm wondering if there's more to our nerve system than we think it is. So right now, the fMRIs and the QEGs and all kind of stuff tells a certain amount of things. I am willing to bet that the nerve system acts like a laser. In other words, if I, had, if I use like a laser pointer like this, and I point over here, I point over here like this, right? So it's a straight line, and I'm making the straight line, and it makes this little dot right there because it's very, very focused like this, right? But what happens if I interfere? I'll take this plastic bag thing, and I'm going to interfere with the laser pointer. That's the same laser pointer, right? But you see how it's different than this, right? So I see like if I put this like this, I have like a lot less energy and it's a lot more dispersed. I think that the nerve system works that way too. I think the nerve system sends information down like this, but what does a subluxation do, right? A subluxation does this. It stops that flow from happening at 100%. So even though, yeah, you might be still getting flow to that area, it's not all of it. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's dispersed. It's not 100%. So I think what happens is a subluxation, it's not just a distortion of the spinal canal. It's a distortion of how that information is being transmitted through the system. Is something stopping or interfering with the way that it's getting through? Not if it's getting through or not, the way it's getting through. And when I'm not just talking about inflammation, I'm not talking about all the other theories that are out there. I'm really believing at this point that if there's something blocking that information, that you're going to get less than 100% information out there, and that's going to cause this. So why do people get healthy? Why do people get better? Why do people improve on the chiropractic care? Because that is a hell of a lot better than this, right? This fine point of a laser is a hell of a lot better than having this dispersed energy like that. And that's really what makes a difference. And that's what I want you to question. Just because they say, this is what's happening. You know, you know, we read Leach's, you know, chiropractic theories and stuff. And these are the 11 or 12 or 15 theories. I think they're all correct to some degree, but I, but I don't think the answer is out there yet. I don't think we really know. I don't think we have the tools to measure what's really, really happening within our brains and nervous systems yet. At some point we will, you know, once we, once we go to Star Trek, we have that little gizmo that Scotty used to go, like this, and he read the whole body. By that point in time, then we'll know exactly what's going to happen with our brain and nervous system. But until that point in time, which is several millennia away from where we are now, I think we've got a lot of work to do. But, it, I, but I really think that it's, chiro it's chiropractic that has the work to do because we have to understand when we look at this kind of stuff, 
how come when I adjust a child on the spectrum, how come we see changes? Because we see changes in the way the cerebellum's connected. We see changes in the way the prefrontal cortex is connected. There's papers about how there's structural abnormalities in prefrontal cortex in kids on the spectrum. There's there's, they talk about an amygdala with kids on the spectrum. They talk about basal ganglia with kids on, on the spectrum. I really believe that when we are adjusting these kids, we're changing the way their brain is functioning. We're changing their functional connectivity. That's way bigger than just saying, I'm moving a bone, right? Yes, we might be moving a bone, but we're really changing the nerve system. And if you really want to go deep into that, not only are we changing the nerve system, we're actually changing, once that nerve system changes, that means it has to stay as a structural change, which means we're changing the way genetics is being expressed. That makes what we're doing way, way bigger. Way, way bigger than just moving a bone. Because what we're really doing is we're changing the way genetics is expressing. Right? We're, we're helping the person in a genetic and epigenetic way to, to show that something is different. So when I have a kid yesterday who, when I first saw him six months ago, this kid did not look me in the eyes, he's six years old, didn't look me in the eyes, didn't say a word. And now he comes in, gives me a hug, says, hi, Dr. Rubin. I adjust him, he gets up, he says, bye, Dr. Rubin, have a nice day. Now, he doesn't have a whole lot of expressive language other than very simple language like that, but this is huge for that kid. To be able to, to make that kind of leap is because something changed. And for years, he had ABA therapy, and for years, he had speech therapy, and for years, he had OT and PT, which is all great and all necessary, but it wasn't until the brain connectivity changed by what a chiropractor did that his life really turned around. And that's what we do. That, to me, is why what we do is so powerful and so important. 